Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. Another third and long. Driscoll maneuvering and wrapped up. That ball came out loose. If he's ruled down, it's a safety. And indeed, it is a sack for Shaquille Barrett and two points on the board from the Bucks defense. Yeah, I think Denver remembers Shaq Barrett a little bit, Luke. Uh, I, I know this is a vintage Brady game, and I want to talk a lot about Brady and what he was able to do to the Broncos in Denver, a place that he doesn't really love, a place he hasn't played great in his career. But man, my Bucks D, I've been talking about them all year, and they keep showing up, and they keep proving me right, and they had another amazing performance, starting with Barrett. Yeah, and you know, talking to Shaq Barrett during the week, it was obvious that he was, you know, Know, had this game circled, was ready for a coming out party, had been, you know, obviously impactful over the first two weeks. But when you don't have that first sack yet, when you're coming off such a great season, you led the NFL in sacks, you can feel, you know, the itch and that he wanted to to not only get on the board in this game, but but have a big impact. And he also made it clear, he's like, there was no staying in Denver. And he wanted to go back and show them that, listen, this is what I have always been capable of. And man, six tackles, two sacks, you get the safety. And, you know, I think he even mimicked Bradley Chubb's sack celebration. On yeah, the yeah, I saw that on Twitter. That was I mean, great. The, the pettiness was in full force, and he earned it. He, he backed it up. If you're going to talk to talk, at least walk the walk, and he absolutely did that. Nope, nope. That man earned his right to do whatever the hell he wanted. He played great. You know, like I said, that was – I think that was the first vintage Brady performance that Bucks fans got to see, right? I mean, the completion percentage being what it was, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers, 115 quarterback rating, and just little things like – He'll take some sacks on third down when you got a big lead. He's not going to take any unnecessary chances. Throwing guys open on third downs, you know, throwing short of the sticks, but putting the ball in a place where they can catch it and get across the line. We saw that time and time again. I'm sure the Bucks fans were probably eating that up on Sunday. That was a pleasant sight for them to see Brady really firing for the first time all year. Yeah, they were. And, and let's be honest, this is the first time he's really had the whole offense together. You know, in week one, he had Mike Evans was a game time decision with the hamstring. Week two, there was no Chris Godwin with the concussion. So, you know, not only was, and Tom said this after the game, this this would have been basically the third preseason game in terms of reps. So that all considered, this offense continues to get more and more comfortable every week. And, you know, obviously the, the naysayers will point out the fact that these back-to-back wins they had are against Carolina, you know, not a great team, against Denver, a winless team who's banged up on both sides of the ball. But I actually told, you know, I asked Bruce Arians this yesterday. I said, Every Bucks fan who has been a Bucks fan for a long time, there are moments in both of those two games these past two weeks where every every you know longtime Bucks fan has felt the dread. Like this is the moment. This is the moment where everything turns and we lose the game. We let it get away. And both of those opportunities for the Bucks to open the door and let an inferior team come back and challenge them and beat them, they've proven that the culture is different now. They've proven that they're a different team because they've shut the door. They've finished in the second half, whether it was, you know, a a big play and turnover on defense and then the Leonard Fournette touchdown in week two. This week it was the defense simply shutting out the Broncos in the the second half. Mm -hmm. And you can point out all the shortcomings in the other team, 
but it's still the NFL. You still have to go out and win. Look at what happened to Arizona and Detroit this week. Look at what happened to teams that lose to teams that you shouldn't lose to. The first step in proving that you are a good team is to beat the bad teams and not let them challenge you. The Bucks have taken that step. Obviously, they have a lot more challenges down the road, but it's a lot easier to tackle those challenges when you handle your business against bad teams. They're 2-1. and one. They're in first place in the NFC South, and they'll definitely take that right now. And they 100% know what they have in their defense, right? Because the offense puts up points in the first half, and then second half, you really saw them kind of lean on that unit. I thought they were really, they kind of played it safe at, at times, right? In that second half, didn't really put themselves in a position where they're going to screw it up. Brady, like I said, took a few sacks, just kind of say, whatever, we'll kick a field goal, we'll we'll live to fight another day, and, and the defense is winning ball games right now. So if the defense is going to play like that and be a dominant unit with the offense and all their weapons, this is a team, and you know, looking at the Saints and how they're playing football right now since the week one, maybe the Bucks are the best team in the NFC South. And, you know, looking at how they have won those games, if you really wanted to poke a hole in the offense, it's that third quarter. It's that coming out kind of flat, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily playing it safe, but particularly in this past game, it was really a couple of holding penalties that really impacted their ability to to start fast in the second half. They got behind the sticks really bad when you're in first and 20, second and 20, deep in your own territory. It's really hard to pull out of that and change the field position around. So yeah, Brady was smart. He took the smart sacks. He didn't try to force the ball, but a lot of that happened because you know, and Bruce said this the other day too, it, it, they were coverage sacks. They were sacks that are happening on third and long because you got yourself in first and 20, second and 20, mm-hmm. where there's really nowhere to go with the ball. And, you know, Brady will look around as long as he can. The, the offensive line really did a great job for the second week in a row at protecting him across the board. Uh, obviously easier to do without a guy like Von Miller in the lineup. But, you know, Definitely. it's again, it all comes back to just doing the simple things, doing the things that you should do to beat bad teams. And the Bucks did those things across the board. They still got a couple penalties to clear up. Obviously, they do want to start faster on offense in the second half and not put everything on their defense. But, you know, for so long, this is, you know, especially most of the Jameis Winston era, it was fantasy football galore <laughs> and a bunch of offensive points. statistics. Yeah. Yeah. And you still lose because the defense, you know, because that offense is turning the ball over. And because the defense gets tired, they're on the field a lot. They're, you know, defending short fields and the schemes. Let's be honest, under Lovey Smith, under Mike Smith, they did not have anywhere near the coaching and the scheme that they have now under Todd Bowles, who might be the best defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's got the pieces. He's got the players to make this scheme work. And it's a scary time. And the, the better this offense gets and the more comfortable Brady gets with all of his teammates in this new playbook for the first time in 20 years having to learn one mm-hmm. that defense is going to carry them for the first half and down the back stretch man they've got some tough games to win obviously in the, on that schedule but this could be a really scary team if everything clicks and everything comes together down the stretch they're going to be a tough out for anybody and i just got to say this about arians that ball buster you know all the all the talk about ah we don't throw to the tight end you know whatever you know, don't 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 ask me questions about Gronk. Well, Gronk comes up with six catches and he actually looks pretty good, right? Uh, we have a Gronk he, sighting, and that was a cool, that was a cool storyline, right? And and the one that we all wanted back was the the would be touchdown in the corner, no right? Doubt, Brady no barely doubt. overthrew him. That would have been the moment, right? But not the even spike. just Gronk. We're waiting OJ for that Howard. spike. Yeah, we're waiting. Oh, for the we spike. wanted it so bad. He almost had one too. He, he caught like a third and short, really. You know, inside the ten, it was bustling through a couple of guys. He really wanted that one. But even OJ Howard. Three catches for 49 yards, I think. Had a ridiculous one-handed catch while a defender is hanging on him. So he draws the penalty and still makes the catch. I mean, I, I do feel like sometimes Bruce is just trolling everybody. Yeah, he, absolutely. You know, sends Gronk out there and says, hey, tell him you're a blocking tight end and then we'll throw you the ball eight times and you'll get six catches. Like, it's just, it's definitely fun. It's a fun environment. Bruce has got a great 
culture in that locker room. They feel like they have the right coaching staff. They've got the right pieces and you can't keep a team like this together forever. You know, you look at guys like Shaq Barrett, he's on the franchise tag one year. JPP's back on a two-year deal. And Dominican Sue's on a one-year deal. Brady's on a two-year deal. You can't keep everybody forever. They've got to extend Levante David and Chris Godwin this year or in the off season. So a lot of big decisions to make. They've got the team to do something special this year if they can stay healthy because it's just hard to keep them together. Yeah, they got a really, really good team on both sides of the ball, and the uh, national media is starting to take notice. We'll get into that here coming up. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week four. At quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Miami Dolphins faces a Seattle Seahawks defense that has allowed nearly a full game's worth of yardage more than the next closest team. Six passing touchdowns have come against this defense, plus two more on the ground, and Fitzpatrick has shown he can still move with his legs. Injuries to two cornerbacks and star safety Jamal Adams has Seattle's defense behind the curve. Devin Singletary should see the majority of carries again this week if Zach Moss isn't capable of playing. No team has given up more PPR points than the Las Vegas Raiders against running bags, fueled by six rushing scores and a receiving touchdown. If John Brown is out of the passing game for Buffalo this week, it's safe to assume we could see more Singletary in the short passing game. Sticking with that same matchup, Hunter Renfro emerged as the top target last week for Derek Carr. It's unclear how much Darren Waller's lack of production was due to the Patriots keying on him or a combination of that with his knee injury. Las Vegas should be without wide receivers Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards in the contest, and Buffalo is pretty strong against running backs. There should be a lot more passing in this one than John Gruden may want. And finally, Green Bay Packers tight end Robert Tanyan against the Atlanta Falcons. He's scoring consecutive games, and Atlanta has allowed the second most receptions, third most yards, and the eighth easiest touchdown scoring efficiency against tight ends so far in 2020. If Devontae Adams doesn't play again, it means Tanyan is likely to see an increase in looks. With Green Bay having a week five bye, they have no incentive to rush Adams back to the lineup. For more fantasy football tips and advice, Go check out thehuddle.com. I know most of you only watch them against the Saints. This is a really, really loaded football team. And Brady's career has been marked not by his athletic ability, not by his arm, not by his escapability, but he mostly has really, really good judgment. He chose the right roster. He could have picked maybe the Colts. Some people talked about, you know, the 49ers. All I know is when I watched that yesterday, I don't see a flaw. I don't see it. That, that, that team, and the other thing is, they're winning that division. Okay, I don't know if they'll be the number one seed. They're going to win that division. I watch, I've watched the Saints now three weeks in a row. And they look really nice in the first week, but it's becoming very apparent. Everybody's got film. They don't throw the ball down the field. This Tampa Bay team can throw it deep. They can throw it in the seam. They can hand it off. They can throw it in the backfield. And Todd Bowles remains maybe the best coordinator in the NFL. Tampa Bay is good. Really, really good. That's a little uh, Tampa Bay Bucks porn right there for the fans, Luke. And, uh, you know, Colin Cowherd, obviously. What stood out to you about that uh, little spiel that Cowherd went on? Uh, you know, it's hard to argue with a lot of it. I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say there's not a flaw in this team. I think, you know, yeah, you know, and I get it. You know, that's part of that's part of the game. I understand that. But, you know, I think the, the really the, the big thing that's holding this team back from being a complete team that I would feel that confident in, in saying those things about is the ground game. You know, you've got to be 
be able to run the football when you want to effectively. I'm not talking about staying committed to it to the point where it doesn't make any sense and you're not getting any ground. But, you know, we saw in week two what they can do when they get a hot hand like Leonard Fournette. Obviously, they're facing a really poor run defense. Kwan Short was out for the Panthers. So you want to take advantage of that. Didn't see quite those numbers this week. But, you know, Ronald Jones had a great bounce back. After week two, we're talking about how Leonard Fournette stole the job away from him. Right. Ronald Jones goes out and averages 4.3 yards a carry, has, I think, 73 yards on 15 touches, got a couple of big catches as well. And Fournette kind of had a slow day. So, you know, they've got to get consistency. I don't think it matters who that guy is. They've got, obviously, more depth at running back than they've had in a long time, even with, you know, LaShawn McCoy. Haven't even made Keshawn Vaughn, their third-round pick, active at all because they really haven't had to uh, because they have so much veteran experience ahead of him on that depth chart. But it, it really just comes down to the offensive line and, and the running backs making the most of what they're given. And that's the part where this team is just still missing something, I think. they got to clear up the penalties. They got to start faster in the third quarter, and they've got to be able to run the ball a lot more effectively than what they're doing right now. No doubt, and we don't want to go overboard. The Broncos kind of suck right now, and they lost a ton of players, right? So we can't. We we don't want to go overboard about how great the Bucks look. But as you've been saying, Luke, it's nice to see them look really good against crappy teams and teams that they should dominate. For me, it's like when do we hit the panic button on? Uh, Chris Godwin's hamstring because I am in love with Godwin. I think he's great. I think I'm not surprised to see the chemistry he and Brady already have. Seems like it's it's improving every week, but you know, we saw Godwin hurt his hamstring late last season. We already see him we saw him deal with it earlier this year already, right? Before the concussion, did he have a hamstring? Was that that was Mike Evans? Right, right, but that speaks to a bigger issue. Yeah. Is this Ryan, a, is this a chronic thing? And look back at last season, at the end of last season, Mike Evans missed the last two games with a hamstring injury. Godwin missed the rest of the season with a hamstring injury. Scotty Miller missed the end of the season with a hamstring injury. Jordan Whitehead, the safety, had a hamstring injury against Detroit and missed the last couple of games. So Bruce told us during the offseason that they took that very seriously and their sports science people and their medical staff wanted to, specifically with the wide receivers, wanted to run them a lot less, work them a lot less in September and October to have them fresher and, and better you know position to stay healthy in the in the the long run but let's be honest man we had no training camp we had no reps we had no preseason we had so much time lost in the building with the staff with the training people and it's just really difficult to replicate getting your body in football shape and that's why we're seeing all across the nfl obviously these soft tissue injuries are a huge problem i think everybody really expected them to be and it's really i don't know what they could have done to avoid it but to get back to godwin i think there might be no more complete wide receiver in the league than chris godwin he's, he's so got size he's so he's good. got speed he can line up outside or inside probably better inside which at his size and speed is just ridiculous to consider him a slot receiver but that's really where he's best he creates so many mismatches he can block something that the Bucks, you know, really value in wide receivers. You've got to be able to get physical in the run game and block downfield. You know, I just think he's a five-tool guy. He can do everything. He does it at a high level. He might not have a trump card like some other receivers who are considered top five receivers in this league have, but I think all across the board, he might be the most complete receiver in the league, and that's why it is so frustrating to see him struggling to stay healthy because when he's in this lineup, this offense is a completely different beast because he can do so many things and do them so well. No doubt. We're seeing Brady utilize Mike Evans around the goal line, and that's only going to continue, and they're going to continue to get their connection going. But if they stay healthy and continue to progress together, yes, yeah, Super Bowl contender for sure. But if you know we're going to see chronic injuries, then that could derail this thing. So something to monitor, something to watch. Coming up, Bucks have another plus matchup, I think, with the Chargers and a rookie quarterback. They're seven and a half point favorites going into next week. We'll get into that coming up here on the Bucks Wire podcast. <laughs> 
It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on Week 4's marquee matchup between the New England Patriots and Kansas City Chiefs. The Patriots are plus seven underdogs, Chiefs minus seven home favorites, over under 53 and a half in this game, minus 110 on either side of that. Patriots plus 240 underdogs, money line. Jeff, how are you feeling about this game? Oh, I'm totally on the Patriots plus seven. How often do you get Bill Belichick in a major game getting seven points? That Chiefs rush defense is really weak, so Cam Newton and company is going to be able to take the air out of the ball, keep Mahomes off the field. Um, and Bill Belichick, you know, has extra time to prep. He got short rest for Kansas City. I'm all on the I'm on the Patriots plus seven. Did you watch Monday Night Football? Did you see those Kansas City Chiefs? No, they're out to prove a point. They're still the best team in football. Take them minus seven at home to New England Patriots. I don't care. The best team in football. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet Seven Podcast. Be sure to rate and review. All right, Luke, before we break down Bucks Chargers, I'm going to give you a, a quick minute for a victory lap on your Tampa Bay Lightning. Pretty exciting to be a, a Tampa Bay sports fan right now. Obviously, the Lightning hoisting the cup last night. How are you feeling about that, and what's it like waking up this morning as a Stanley Cup champ over there? I tell you what, man, I told you kind of this off the air before we got started, but, you know, when, when you grow up in this city and, and you are such a, a huge sports person and you feel so connected to these teams, obviously, you know, it's my job to cover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, so I don't allow myself that full you know fandom when i'm doing the work obviously but everything that i deny myself uh, as a bucks fan because of the job i completely allow myself that as a hockey fan as a tampa bay lightning fan as somebody who you know has lived in this town since before there was hockey i went to lightning games when they were playing at tropicana field before tropicana field was called tropicana field it's called the <laughs> thunderdome oh my gosh um and you know to to go from there to winning the cup in 04 i was 18 when they won the cup in 2004 and, and to be there at the parade and be a part of that uh and then to be able to do the same thing now with my wife and my kids and, and share that with them and, and watch this core of players that if, as you see them go so deeply into the playoffs the last four or five years in a row, they, they lose in the finals to Chicago. They lose in seven games in the conference final. They lose in seven games in the conference final the year after that. You know, they get swept by the in the first round after putting together the best regular season in hockey history. That was brutal. And Yeah, you know, and you start to wonder, is it John Cooper, the head coach? Is it the fact that this team is so skilled and talented that they can't find that edge? They can't find that physical, you know, mentality that it takes to to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the hardest trophy to win, in my opinion, in sports because of what you have to go through in the playoffs and such a physical game to play. You know, you started to wonder, is this team just not going to ever be able to turn that corner? So for guys like Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, especially, who have who were drafted highly by this franchise and become cornerstones of this community and and have embraced the Tampa community so much from those guys all the way down. There were nine guys on that team last night, hoisting the cup who were in, who who were on the team in 2015 when they lost to Chicago in six games. So just there's so many ways in which what happened last night was just such a beautiful experience for a sports fan, for someone who's been embedded in this community for so long in the sports community. I I loved every minute of it. I'm going to continue loving every minute of it. I'm going to be a complete idiot on social media. I'm going to be insufferable about it. uh, And then I'll get my work done when it comes to the bucks. Yeah. Good for you, man. Enjoy that. And that was sweet last night. Always good to see the cup. Always good to see the cup get hoisted And This matchup for the bucks against the chargers is an interesting, 
interesting one. This Chargers team's hard to peg. Justin Herbert, he, he's playing okay. He's he's definitely, uh, he looks like he's got the offense rolling a little bit better than Tyrod Taylor did, but the Chargers disappointed a lot of survivor pool people last week. I think a lot of people liked the Chargers to beat that Panthers team, that banged up Panthers team, and the Panthers beat the Chargers last week, so it's really hard to judge where this Chargers team is at. Could be an opportunity for the Bucks to kind of dominate this game with their defense. It could be, and honestly, this is going to come down to health and injuries as much as as much as it will for the Bucks, because you know, and it's going to come down to the trenches. You're going to have Melvin Ingram the third out for uh, the Chargers, so obviously Joey, Joey Bosa is going to get a lot of focus. The the Chargers offensive line is really where they struggle. They've got playmakers. Uh, Austin Eckler is a, is a playmaker. They've got great receivers and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. But can they protect the rookie quarterback against maybe the best defensive front seven in all of football in Tampa Bay? So the the pressure is going to be there. Obviously, we talked about Todd Bowles being one of the best coordinators in the league. He's going to dial up everything to get this rookie quarterback off his game. And on defense, they're missing Derwin James. Like I said, they're missing Ingram. So definitely some places where the Bucks can attack them. Uh, it's going to be, again, it's going to be one of those games where the Bucks have to prove that they are the better team, that they can close the door and not fall victim to a trap game. You know, the, it'll be the first time they play in front of fans at home. The Bucks are going to have basically a soft opening, they called it, with Raymond James Stadium, have some friends and family, some longtime season ticket holders are going to be in the building, so they'll have a little bit more energy uh, than the, the first home game where they played with nobody there. So everything, again, points to the Bucks winning this game. But again, this is a Chargers team that went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs, who were looked dominant for most of the game last night against the Baltimore Ravens. So... What team are they going to get? I think when you're going up against a coach like Anthony Lynn, who I think is one of the most underrated coaches in the league, you always have to be on your A game because he's going to have his guys prepared to play and play at a high level. It's going to be a tough out for the Bucks, but they're obviously the better team and they should win this one. What do you think about the line, Luke? Seven and a half. Uh, you know, after the last couple of weeks, I, I like the over. I like the Bucks to get that. Mm-hmm. I, I like them, you know, back-to-back double-digit wins over teams they should beat. One of them on the road, one of them out west, you know. So I, they, they have the mental toughness to do it. And again, as I see this, the defense is going to be the defense. I think we can count on them at this point. But the offense continues to improve, continues to get better. Again, they're going to have another home game, so it's going to be a little more comfortable. The communication tends to get better. God is a big if you know depending on if he's available we're still waiting for the mri results on him as of when we're recording this so right right that might impact it but i you know if the bucks are going to win this game i think it's going to be by more than seven points uh if they if they don't they're they're going to have some questions answered yeah and and the over under is at 45 and for me that's a little bit of a low number and it kind of signals to me that the chargers are going to have a hard time scoring and i think that's what vegas thinks there uh but what do you think about that that over under yeah i I think so too and I, i think that when you combine what tampa bay has not been able to do in the second half that makes me a little more apt to take the under maybe because you know they could could go to halftime up 21 to nothing like they were in Carolina 23 to 10 like they were in Denver and only score three or seven points in the in the second half and still win the game so I I think like you said when you when you think about how much the Chargers might struggle against this defense and also how the Bucks offense has kind of throttled things down in the second half when they build that big lead might tempt me to take the under there all right Luke I'm jealous man I'm jealous you get to cover the Bucks and you just got to celebrate a Stanley Cup so good for you good for you and all hey, Tampa hey, Bay Nation hey don't forget the Rays of the number one seed in the American uh, oh League oh my right? god you're right you're right this you're really right. is 2020 it's yeah, all no it's... I looked at that bracket I'm like Rays are number one and athletics are number two like oh my god yeah. what is going on now, here that's how you know it's an alternate universe yeah yeah no the MLB is, is is all wacky even the Astros I thought they sucked all year they're like the sixth seed who knows anymore man yeah we don't man. Know. no it's awesome but hey enjoy everything that's going on in Tampa Bay this week and uh have a great one and we'll get back on it next week all right man sounds great Ryan thanks oh, 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.